Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 16 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Kim Dipple, a fashion designer who's worked with surf brands like O'Neill and Quicksilver. After having a baby and moving away from a fashion hub, she wanted to try freelancing. She didn't have any luck with her existing contacts, so she turned to Upwork, where she successfully landed a few ongoing clients that have kept her consistently busy. In the interview, Kim shares how to land your first few gigs on Upwork, why honesty and transparency is essential to building relationships, and how to raise your rates with new clients. Um, when I would reach out to clients, I would say, you know, this is my hourly rate. Um, you know, I'm willing to negotiate that a little bit. And then we would talk further. So I would say, okay, you know, maybe for this project, I'll do it for $5 less an hour. You know, and we would negotiate that. But it was only for that specific project. Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you, you can help the show out and make it easier for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take 60 seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 16. Now on to the interview with Kim. Thank you so much, Kimberly, for joining me on the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you and everything you're working on. Um, why don't we get started by giving, uh, why don't you give your, give a quick introduction of who you are and, and what you do and your experience in the industry? All right. Um, my name's Kim Dipple, my married name, um, and I have been working full-time in the industry for over 12 years now. Um, I started at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, FITM, as most people know it, um, in L.A., and I did the two-year course there and graduated in 04 and then just kind of jumped in both feet first. Um, most of my experience in the industry thus far, it's actually pretty mixed, but most of it lies in the surf industry. Um, I'm from Orange County and that's where I've lived, um, pretty much most of my career. So I've been working in the surf industry full time. Um, and then in LA for smaller companies, um, as well. So I kind of have a mix of working for super small, you know, kind of grassroots startups to more established, um, bigger corporations. Um, and right now I am just on my own freelancing. That's awesome. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, you had a great breadth of experience in the industry working for a variety of different brands. Um, and that was mostly in LA. Is that correct? Um, kind of half and half. I would say most of my career now has been actually, um, in Orange County in the surf industry, but it's kind of like, I'd probably say 60, 40. Okay. Okay. So LA, Orange County area. And then mm -hmm. if I'm not mistaken, your family moved and that's when you kind of decided to do freelance. So is that what happened? 
Exactly. Yeah. A year ago, we moved up to San Luis Obispo County. We're living in Pismo Beach and there's not, you know, really much of an industry here. Um, I did work for a golf apparel company on the women's side for about six months. And then it was just kind of got hard with childcare. We have a two-year-old daughter and, and all that stuff. So I had the opportunity to stay home and I decided I wanted to keep, you know, at least a foot in the pond. Um, I didn't just want to stop working altogether. So, um, I tried my hand at freelancing and it's actually going pretty well. Yeah. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about like what that process was like. Cause you went from, you know, being a full-time employee or, or working as, as some type of employee status for most of your mm-hmm. career. And then tell us about your journey into freelancing. Like what, what did you try? What worked, what didn't work and, and kind of where you're at now? Yeah. So I, I made the decision, um, probably about, um, two months before I actually quit the job at the golf company. Um, I just knew it wasn't working, just wasn't working for like my life. And, um, I needed to do something different. And so I did a little bit of research and I found, um, upwork.com, which is a um, website that kind of connects freelancers to people looking for freelancers. Um, and there, I know that there are a couple other websites that do that as well. Um, I didn't really I found Upwork, the jobs on there, to be a little bit better suited towards me. So I went with Upwork and I just created a profile. And that's honestly where I started. Um, And I just started kind of um, um, like reaching out to, you know, the different job postings and, um, you know, kind of bidding for these different jobs. And most of them were just super small, um, you know, didn't pay much, but I needed to get a little bit of experience under my belt. So, you know, I did some things. I did logo design actually for this one girl and I'm not even a graphic artist and she knew that. And I told her, I'm like, look, I'll, I'll give my best shot at it. And it ended up going really well, but I even did some things that were kind of, you know, not exactly what I wanted to do. Um, and then I ended up, I got really lucky. I found two clients that now I just work with, you know, I don't work on Upwork anymore because they keep me very busy. I work one-on-one with them. Um, and right now it's great for me because um, it's kind of the exact hours that I need. You know, staying home with a toddler is really challenging. <laughs> so right now I'm only doing like two at best, like three hours a day of work. Um, so it kind of works for me. And I could do more with them, which is cool. So when that, you know, when those kind of life situations change, um, you know, there will be more work for me, hopefully. So I want to like really dig into the whole upward process that you went through and kind of how you strategically, um, worked through, you know, getting those clients and then maybe taking them off of Upwork and figuring out what your rates were. Because I think one of the challenges that, that a lot of people seem to express with Upwork is that, you know, there's, a lot of people on there willing to do work for nothing or there's brands or small startups that expect, you know, this really, really, really low price. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, did you see some of those challenges? And if so, how are you able to sort of, I know you said you did some like small low price projects and you did some stuff that was a little bit outside of, you know, what you exactly wanted to do, but talk a little bit about, you know, how you got started with that and then how you were able to, progress and get those clients off of Upwork and and maybe increase your rates or, you know, I don't know what your exact setup looked like, but, um, take us through that process a little bit. 
So at first I was willing to negotiate my rate. You know, like I had said, I was willing to take smaller jobs, make a, a little bit less money, but you know, there's a lot of people on Upwork. Um, and the people that are, you know, the clients that are looking for freelancers have a lot of weeding through to do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just from kind of talking to them, it can be frustrating. Um, the one thing that worked for me that <clears throat> pretty much every client had said was, I saw your website and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the, I think the first thing, you know, if you're looking to go into freelance, you know, create yourself an awesome website. I use Squarespace. I'm not a web designer. You know, I don't like code or anything. (laughs) Um, Squarespace is, is great. If you're okay, you know, if you want that look, you know, it's a very specific look. If you want that look, then it's, it's so easy and awesome. Um, And I made mine on Squarespace and it turned out beautiful. And uh, that's really been kind of the thing that's snagged, I would say 90% of my clients. Um, and kind of set me apart. You know, you have your profile on there and, um, you know, and I didn't on, on Upwork, I was, I was pretty, um, I was reasonable, but I wasn't low priced. Um, so I would say right now, like I'm, I'm pretty good at my hourly. Like I could, you know, I could, I could definitely bump it up a little bit. Um, but I feel like I'm kind of at that sweet spot where people don't run away from it, but it also, you know, doesn't really attract the people that want to pay you $5 for a project. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of just my, I would say this, the strategy that kind of hooked most of my clients was my website. That's what they've been telling me. Oh, that's great. So I'll link to your, um, I'll link to your site in the show notes and can you just say what the URL is for everybody listening, but I'll definitely put it in the show notes as well. Sure. It's www.kimberlydipple.com. It's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-D-I-P-P-E-L.com. That's great. And so, um, you know, without us having a visual right as we're talking, you know, do you think there was anything specific on your site? I mean, it's, it was, it's a beautiful site, but do you think it was like how you presented your portfolio or how you presented, you know, sort of like your resume of experience or was there anything specific on the site that stood out to people? I think the, what I've heard is that the overall kind of vibe of the site, it's, um, it's kind of, it's like feminine and classic. The the overall vibe is very like, um, cohesive from like the color scheme and everything. And I think that, that kind of catches the eye. And then I'm lucky enough to have beautiful photography of, um, the collections I've designed, mm-hmm. which really helps, um, from, you know, lookbooks and all that. Um, I had access to those images and were able to use them on my website. Um, and that, you know, that's a huge thing right there. Um, I mean, I'm sure if I had, you know, an incredible illustration as like the homepage, that would also be eye catching. But I think that the images really helped. Um, and then it really showcases, I, I used pictures and images and designs that really showcase, you know, who I am in kind of my style and where I come from. Um, but I also wanted to show, you know, diversity that I'm not just, you know, in this one bubble, I can, you know, design for a variety of different clients and, um, you know, with different styles, but I definitely have my own perspective. So I tried to keep that from the font, the color scheme, kind of, you know, everything to really show who I am. Yeah. Well, and I love the, um, you're actually the second person I've had on the show who's mentioned, you know, the, 
the power and uh, strength of using those marketing images, like the actual photography. I mean, CADs Mm -hmm. are great, flats are great, but there's, you can tell such a stronger story with those marketing images. So the value of um, using those, if you have the ability to, um, as a designer, to really showcase the finished, finished product. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're telling a story and it's, you know, it's very people look and they want to see beautiful images. You know, they really just want to see, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Okay. I want to delve more into this, you know, and then I have my technical work on there and all that stuff. So they can say, see, okay, this person, you know, can back up these images with, you know, this is the work and this is the process that, you know, went along. Cause I didn't take those photos, sure. you know? Um, so, Okay. So that's great. And so, um, so you, you put together a really cohesive sort of well-branded presentation of yourself on your site to really show who you are and what you do and your design aesthetic. Um, and that obviously, I mean, you've heard feedback specifically from the people you've done work with that that was sort of the, the impetus that pushed them over the edge to want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so kind of going backwards a little bit, um, I'd love to talk a little bit and you don't have to share any numbers if you're not comfortable, that's absolutely fine. But, um, just in general, like, okay, you started, um, if I'm not mistaken from a, a conversation we had earlier, like you started at a lower rate just to get some projects and reviews and then you slowly increased your rate. So can you talk a little bit about like, like how did you explain that to some of the clients you were working with um, and, and what that whole like price raising process was like? Because I think that's a scary spot for some people. They're like, oh, well, if I start at, you know, X dollars an hour, how am I going to explain if I need to raise it? Um, and so, so what did you do to kind of walk your customers through that journey with you? Um, yeah, I think that can be a difficult thing. Um, the way that I did it was Honestly, it was pretty easy because right now, if I, you know, raised my rates on a current client I have, you know, I would have probably, you know, go into a whole, you know, spiel and want to explain why and all that. Um, but the way I did it on Upwork is that you have your profile and you have your hourly rate on there. Um, but when I would reach out to clients, I would say, you know, this is my hourly rate. Um, you know, I'm willing to negotiate that a little bit. And then we would talk further. So I would say, okay, you know, maybe for this project, I'll do it for $5 less an hour, you know, and we would negotiate that, but it was only for that specific project, Mm -hmm. but they knew what my standard rate was. Mm -hmm. And either it was because, you know, Hey, like I really want, I'm passionate about this project. You know, I really want to do this. Or I was just very honest. I'm new here. You know, I want to build my reputation. And so I was very honest about that. Um, so it was kind of like, okay, for this project, I'll do it for this rate. You know, this is my standard rate. Um, and it kind of went from there. The clients that I have right now, I, I didn't do actually, well, actually no, that I take that back. One of them, I did do the first project for much lower than I actually work. And I, I did tell him that, um, I was very honest about it. I said, look, like for this project, um, I'm, you know, I'm very passionate about it. I could see, you know, further opportunities. There was opportunity to keep going with this project. Um, and at that point I told him I would charge my standard rate and that person agreed. And it was, you know, I just, I laid it all out there in the beginning Mm -hmm. and was just very honest and I didn't have any issues. Um, but I haven't come across where, you know, okay, I'm working for X amount of dollars and, um, you know, okay, all of a sudden I'm going to jump up, you know, and kind of like charge you a little bit more. I haven't, I haven't done that yet. So I can't really speak to how I would approach that just yet. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I did it in the beginning. It was kind of per project and it was just very honest. And so it was almost like, hey, let's, you know, I'm, I want this project. I'm willing to do the initial, um, the initial project with you at 
almost like a, a trial rate to make sure that we're uh-huh. good fit and to show you what I can do and, and to make sure that, that we work well together. And then going forward, anything from that on is going to be at the standard rate. Exactly. Yeah. That's a great strategy. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're, if you can do it, I'm in a position where I I'm able to do that in my life right now. Had I just tried to freelance a few years ago, oh my gosh, it would have been a lot more stressful. <laughs> um, cause you know, you, you know, everyone has to bring home a certain amount to make their ends meet. Um, so I think it would, yeah, I think it would have been more difficult for me to do that a few years ago. Um, but I can kind of play around with it now, which, you know, is a nice, you know, kind of a luxury. Yeah. And so, um, talk a little bit about like, what types of clients are you finding out there on Upwork? Is it, are you doing all sorts of startup work or is it working with some established brands? And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what are the differences, like, what do those projects kind of look like? Like, what are some of the differences you as a freelancer see in terms of like what you have to manage working with one type of client versus another type? Yeah. So on, on Upwork, it's pretty much what I have come across in my experience is it is mostly all startups, um, which are, can be fun, but they can also be extremely challenging. Um, and I've, I've gotten lucky where, you know, if, if I had kind of been talking to a client, we're talking about a certain, you know, job and I haven't committed to it yet. Um, I've kind of tried to feel out, okay, how organized are these people? How committed are they? Mm-hmm. Um, because I've had a client in particular say, okay, we're sending you this project, you know, you know, here's a PDF, here's all the notes we want, you know, it's for tech packs. Um, and then, you know, I would have a question I wouldn't hear from them. And then like three weeks later, they'd be like, Oh, well, we changed our collection. Here you go. They just were not communicative, did not have, you know, we're not organized. And so I just said, okay, you know what? Like this just isn't for me. This isn't really working out. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know, I have actually... other things that I'm doing and I need to like schedule, you know, make sure I do time, you know, create time for everyone and I'm creating time for you. And then you're just not responding. So yeah, I was going to ask you like, what are some of the red flags when, in terms of like the initial sort of communication process or the bidding process, like what are some of the red flags with some of these clients that you're like, you know, maybe this isn't a good match for me. For me, honestly, I was kind of turned off when someone would just send me, um, like their collection really without, you know, or, or like notes or, you know, really important information about what they're doing uh-huh. without having me, you know, or wanting me to sign like an NDA or something like that. It just showed that they didn't really understand that they needed to protect themselves. Um, and like my, my two clients I have now, you know, I signed NDAs with them. They were very organized, very professional. Um, you know, they really had their ducks in a row, even though they were startups. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found that to be kind of comforting, um, just because I, it told me that they were serious Uh, about what they were doing. Um, yeah, some people just like send me all their notes or, you know, maybe they don't have access to, you know, a lawyer to drop the NDA and all that stuff. I understand that stuff takes, you know, money and I totally get that. Um, but yeah, some, some people would just send me like all of their stuff. I'm like, you don't even know me. We've talked one time. Like, (laughs) I don't know. I could just tell it was like, it was real amateur level, which is fine. But then, you know, from there, like, are you communicative? Are you organized? You know, I would kind of watch out for those things after that. Um, And, you know, it would either still, you know, it would either go, okay, like, okay, these people are serious about it, or it would just be a disaster. And I would just, you know, say, okay, this isn't working. And that's only happened a few times. Okay. 
And so um, it sounds like, like you said, most of the work is startups. And so, you know, I think for a lot of designers out there who maybe are going into freelancing for the first time, you know, perhaps their experience is working with some established brands as an employee where you have a full team and everybody's been doing this for a while, or at least, you know, your boss and some of your coworkers and managers and, 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 and things are established um, in, internally, um, mm-hmm. you know, little things down to like, trims and fit and stuff is developed that you're kind of Mm -hmm. using over and over. And so then to contrast that against a startup, um, how are you as a freelancer, you know, finding some of these processes different than working internally for, or perhaps even freelance for a startup brand? And what are some of the things you've learned in terms of like how to manage that process or how to um, manage the client better or, or, or anything like that? What's that been like for you? Um, well, a lot of these startups, um, they do, I find rely on me a lot for, um, guidance, um, either within the process or, um, you know, what should our graded specs look like and, you know, um, fit and everything. So I, I've kind of, they've given me quite a bit of freedom to kind of guide them, Mm. um, you know, and say, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'll write up your graded specs kind of you know, based on what I've used in the past that would pertain to what you're doing. Um, and you know, this is kind of how, you know, I think that your fit should be based on what you want. Um, and so it's, you, when you're working with startups, you really do have to be willing because they want guidance. Um, and I, I can only give them what, you know, my expertise is in, and I'm very honest, you know, I don't do try and guide them in things that I'm not, you know, I'm not versed well in sales. So I would never try and like direct them in sales, but (laughs) for what I'm doing, um, they really do need a lot of guidance. Like, okay, so what's next? Okay. So what should I do here? What should I do here? Mm -hmm. Um, I just had kind of a conversation, um, with one of my clients, um, on a project and we were talking about specs and, and shrinkage. And I kind of had to like, okay, so who's, who's washing the garment? Like, is it being garment washed at the factory? Is it being washed, you know, by the consumer kind of, you know, what is the whole goal here? And then we were able to like figure out the solution to the spec problem, but they, you know, those aren't really things that they're necessarily thinking about because maybe they don't have the experience and that's why they hired you. Mm -hmm. Um, so you really kind of have to think sometimes, you know, sometimes you assume that they know certain things, but you, you kind of have to assume that they don't know, you know, really what they're doing and, and kind of guide them, which can be more, you know, more work, but, um, that's kind of just the, uh, the nature of working with a startup in most cases. I mean, some people are startups and they've been doing this for years and they know what they're doing. Sure. So it really depends on the client. But a lot of times it sounds like they look at you as the expert and they look at you for the consultation and the guidance and the support mm-hmm. to help navigate them down this path. Whereas working with an established brand, you know, might be more them just giving you this specific task. Okay, we need you to draw these. We need you to come up with, you know, eight concepts for this this item or something. Exactly. So essentially you can be doing a lot more work yeah. with the startups. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yeah. Working with an established brand where they already have all these guidelines and, you know, procedures, like you said, they're, um, you know, internally they're pretty set. You kind of just like ride the wave and do what they need you to do. <laughs> but yeah, I've, I found with startups, it, it actually is more work mentally <laughs> and, and more correspondence, you know, you're explaining things a lot. 
And so how do you track your time in terms of like if they call you and you hop on a 15-minute phone call, are you tracking your hourly rate for that? Or if you spend, you know, even just 10 minutes answering an email, but then you do that 10 times a week, that adds up to a couple hours. And so how are you like really managing all of that, um, just the correspondence portion of it? Yeah, it can, it can be challenging. What I've found that works for me is I use, um, an app called Evernote and it's all, um, you know, it syncs to my phone, my computer, you know, it's kind of with me everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so if I do something, you know, even an email, I just kind of log in and I have different kind of notebooks, they call them in that app for each client. And I just say like, okay, like email and I do a five minute. And even if it's five minutes, I just write it down Yeah. because when I'm invoicing and I usually do detailed invoices, um, mm, okay. kind of itemize to my, you know, on this day, you know, I did this and this very kind of vague, but just so that the client feels comfortable, right. like, okay, this is what they did. You know, I'll even, you know, I'll write down, okay, email five minutes. So I can kind of say like correspondence. I spent, you know, 15 minutes this day. If I did three, five minute emails, sure. um, it, it's a lot more work when, when invoicing, but I find that it really does kind of put my clients at ease and, you know, they trust me that I'm not, you know, just like adding an hour here and adding an hour yeah. there. So one of my clients, I, um, communicate with on Skype a lot. Um, just kind of like a constant conversation, um, throughout the day, or if, you know, he quickly, you know, thinks about something that, you know, he wants me to do. It, it just kind of works. He's international. He travels a lot. So for him, it works. And for me, I, it's fine. So that's been kind of a difficult thing to keep track of. Um, you know, because I mean, some days we don't talk at all. And some days it's kind of like throughout the day, constant messaging. So mm-hmm. I kind of just gauge how much time I spent on it. Yeah. And I just, you know, I throw it in there. I mean, it's like, if you want me to be available on Skype, then, you know, I'm that just going to engage. Yeah. Yeah. And there hasn't been an issue with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think just being kind of, you know, really, um, straightforward with your clients and, you know, kind of how you bill and having that conversation in the beginning, um, is important. And I mean, you know, they'll know if you're doing emails, you're working. So yeah, that's time. Yeah. Yeah. And if you only do a few emails a week and then you, you know, charge three hours for emails on your invoice, they're going to know something. <laughs> right. If there's not that big of a discrepancy, it hasn't been an issue for me yet. Yeah. No, I just think that's important though, because, um, you know, correspondence does take time and I've, I've chatted with some people who are like, you know, if I talk to them on the phone for 10 minutes, I don't know if I should be charging for that time. And, and to me, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's still your, it's your time mm-hmm. and you only have so many hours in the day and you need to be compensated for the ones that you are giving them your support, whether that be having a call to talk them through something or whether you're actually, you know, sketching an illustrator or whatever it is, that's your time. And that needs to be, needs to be billed. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, It makes you look more professional as well. You know, you say I'm, I'm worth it. You know, I'm worth this time Yeah. and worth, you know, the money and I'm, you know, I'm providing you a specific service and I should be compensated. It shows that, you know, you're a professional and you're confident in your own abilities and, Yeah, no, that's great. Um, so I want to rewind a little bit and like go back a little bit more through the Upwork process in terms of, um, you know, kind of digging through all the jobs that are posted and then sending out your, your bid or your pitch or your proposal. Um, so, you know, I think it can get a little overwhelming or I I shouldn't even, I, I'm assuming that. So I'll, I'll let you explain, but like, 
going through all the jobs that are posted on there, like what are you looking for? Is there a way you figured out to kind of like filter? Like you see something, you're like, okay, well, that's just I can just kind of tell off the bat that's not going to be a good match. It's not even worth my time to bid that. Um, you know, what has that whole process been like to even filter out the stuff that you think this could be a good match? Um, let's see. It, it's been honestly, it's been quite a few months since I've been on Upwork, but how I did it in the beginning was they were, they're pretty good at, um, kind of promoting the jobs that match with your profile Okay. on there. Um, so kind of every day it's 15 new jobs on Upwork for you. And, you know, I'd kind of start there. Um, and I really went by, you know, they have kind of the header and then the description. Honestly, that kind of tells me all I need to know how they're written, what their needs are. Um, you know, there would be some jobs that say, uh, design collection of, um, activewear, you know, $10, but it didn't say $10 hourly, didn't say $10 flat. And then like there, and then there's kind of something on there that says, you know, willing to pay more for experienced freelancers or, or something like that. And it just, it, the whole thing was, I'm like, this is a mess. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's no details. Um, you're not saying the size of the collection, you know, like I really don't want to delve too much further into this. Yeah. Um, so I would, I would not even waste my time in the beginning. I'd probably in the very beginning, I would have applied to it, but I have noticed that, um, the jobs that have really worked out for me and have been good clients have been, um, like the job descriptions are pretty detailed. Um, and you know, good information was given for me, you know, you always have questions because it's like, okay, well, how many pieces and what do you want? I always ask, what do you want these tech packs to look like? Like, what are your expectations? Because there, I do a lot of tech packs. I'm just using tech packs as an example. Um, but you know, some people want these tech packs that are like extremely elaborate and detailed and all of these, you know, zoom ins and, and then some people just want like a very simple tech pack, you know, for their domestic factory who doesn't need all this crazy stuff. Right. Um, and the products are different. So there's always like a lot of questions that I have, but I think if the initial post is pretty detailed on what the work is going to, uh, what the work is like and what the project is like, I'm way more apt to, um, submit a proposal to that job so it's than almost... someone with like a brief description. Yeah. It's like because how prof- don't understand. Yeah, it's like how professionally did they present themselves is a really good indicator of what they're they're probably going to be like to work with. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's just been my experience, and there's always exceptions to the rule, but yeah. that's usually what I found. Yeah. To- and then, did you do anything strategic in like the the actual? Um, I think on Upwork they call it a a bid, bid this job, like within your bid or your proposal write up, was there anything strategic that you did to kind of stand out, especially for those first few jobs that you were trying to get before you, let's say before you had any reviews or ratings? Uh, The thing that worked for me, I, I think (laughs) is that in the, you know, I would kind of start out with, I think like the first line that you write, you know, really has to catch their attention, like in anything, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're getting, you you can see how many people have applied to jobs. I mean, sometimes it's like 50 to hundred, sometimes it's like 500. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, so I would kind of start out with like, you know, I am 
I can't remember exactly what I would write, but you know, I'm an apparel designer with over 12 years experience, um, full-time experience in the industry. I've worked for notable companies such as, you know, I would go on to say Quicksilver O'Neill. And, you know, when they see those names, mm-hmm. if you were, if you've worked for a company that has, you know, any type of mass appeal or people, you know, it's a household name. I mean, I think you need to include that in the very beginning because that's eye catching and people mm-hmm. will say, okay, this person is the real deal. Like they've worked for this established company. They obviously have some great experience and they'll keep reading. So I kind of tried to like get those things, you know, I've had a lot of experience. I've worked for these companies. Um, and then obviously I would always include my website at the bottom. Um, oh, right. in the proposal. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Because you can you can upload like examples of your work and I kind of found that to be I I don't know. Sometimes I would do it depending on the job. I would usually say, you know, please check out, you know, please check out my website for um you know, examples of my work or how I would word it better than that, but yeah. um so it was kind of like okay, they could click and they could see my whole website. Yeah. Um, so I didn't really upload too many examples of my work just because I had my website and it, it, it seemed to be fine. Clearly it was. I I mean, you got feedback that it was, that was like a reason people decided to work with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people are going through these things fast too. So I didn't make it too long. I didn't make it too short. And then I tried to make just going to the website very easy. Yeah. And so then you would maybe, let's say a conversation was initiated and then you would talk through it and then, and, and obviously you don't land every job, but you landed some and then, um, you took those, you took some of them off of Upwork. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how did you feel like you were ready to do that? How did you approach that conversation? Was the client comfortable? Cause I think that can be, you know, I've talked to some people who are like, there's a comfort to working in Upwork because you're guaranteed payment and, mm-hmm. um, you know, everything's kind of tracked. And I think that some people can feel a little bit nervous about going off of Upwork, um, because, you know, you could not get paid or something, but, but when you're on the platform, they take a, they take a pretty good chunk of your money. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's a great service out there. So I don't mean to like discount what they're doing. Um, it's a great service for everybody to kind of connect and, and find someone to do their project or find a project to work on. But at some point you're kind of like, Oh, I'm paying this fee over and over. It's just quite a bit. So yeah, you can't, yeah. I mean, you can't really stand to do that for, for too long. So I, I would, the, I've taken a few clients off and I would always do my first project through them through Upwork and get in, you know, get paid and make sure everything went smoothly. And if we decided to continue to work together, um, you know, usually I would have already had like a phone conversation with them or like some of my clients, we would, you know, video chat on Skype. So we could say, I'm a real person. You're a real person. (laughs) You know, you make that connection. Yeah. Um, you know, I would always have like information about their business, like their business address and make sure they're, you know, legit. Um, and then, you know, we would kind of talk about it and I would say, okay, look, I am, you know, I'm willing to work off of Upwork. Um, you know, if you are and, um, and then I would, I sign like a, um, a, a contract with one of my clients who I work with, um, a lot. Um, and it was, it was, it was very loose. It wasn't binding or anything, but it was kind of saying, okay, you are going to be a contractor for us. And, you know, kind of spelling out all of 
you know, the details and, and rate stuff. So like my rate was locked into this contract. Mm. Um, it was not binding at all. It wasn't anything like you need to work for us for three months. And, sure. you know, it was like this, this can be, you know, basically terminated at any point by either party, but it was just very, you know, it was kind of like, okay, you know, this company's legit, this person's legit and I feel comfortable. And I, I just really used my gut instinct. Um, and I, it has been fine. I have not had a bad experience yet. Um, but I kind of knew when it was time and there were certain things that made me feel, you know, very comfortable doing so. Okay. So, um, yeah, so just having something in writing kind of can make each party feel a little bit more secure, but like you said, it doesn't have to be anything super fancy legally. So it can just be, you know, something that, that you both are agreeing to. Yeah. And I, I had never, I have never written up the contract, so I don't really have any, um, advice on that. It was always sent to me by the client, you know, and I would obviously read through it and make sure there wasn't anything crazy in there, anything extremely binding. Um, but yeah, I, I have never personally written up the contract, so that's probably something I should look into for the future, but, um, So yeah, I can't really speak to that. (laughs) No, no, no. And that's absolutely fine. Um, And that's something that, you know, perhaps there's some basic templates or something online that you could probably use as a starting point. Um, So it seems as though, you know, going through Upwork and then getting a few stable clients was, was a great process for you. Yeah, I, I had success. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it, it really was kind of the thing, you know, because I, like all of us, I have contacts in the industry and I obviously reached out to, you know, my contacts as well, but no, people like to hire freelancers right now, just from what I'm finding, at least in, you know, Southern California where most of my experiences, but you know, they want you in house full time. Um, so yeah, I mean, of course, freelancers are great because, you know, you can kind of get the benefits without, you know paying them benefits yeah, <laughs> and you know, all the different things that come along with full-time employees, but you know, they want you there, which, which is understandable. A lot of, you know, a lot of work, especially if you're in fittings and improving fabrics and lab dips and all this stuff. Um, you know, that can be challenging remotely. So, yeah. um, I just didn't have any luck with my contacts at the time I was looking for it. Gotcha. And so, um, you know, did you have any challenges with Upwork in terms of like, you know, like when you were first getting started, did you feel like there was a period where you were like, oh, I'm just applying to so much stuff and I'm not really hearing back or, you know, were there some frustrations initially to kind of get things kickstarted? Yes, absolutely. Um, it was a lot of applying, um, you know, writing proposals to jobs and, um, you know, really hearing nothing back sometimes for like, I think a week was like my longest. I was Mm. like, Oh gosh, like this isn't working, but you know, you only kind of need like one gem to come through (laughs) that, you know, is, you know, kind of create a relationship. And if they have, you know, constant work and different projects, then, I mean, you know, right now I really only work like, like I said, two main clients. And then I have some smaller clients here and there, Mm -hmm. which I still do things for, but it's not, it's not consistent. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, my two main clients keep me really busy and I found both of them on Upwork. So, well, and I like hearing that because, um, you know, I think that it can be really discouraging to apply and not hear anything for a week, but like you said, you know, you just have to get those couple. And so at some point, like you, I mean, I think you need to make sure that like what you're sending out is good. And so you might want to, I don't do, I don't know. Did you experiment with like 
how different ways you wrote your pitch or see what, what got more responses versus less responses or anything, or you just kept sending the same thing and then finally it stuck? Yeah. I mean, I would kind of send, I would have like my template, you know, that I would use my like intro, my closing, and then the middle part, depending on what the job was, I would kind of change um, each time. So it's not like I was totally just copying and pasting, which would have been a lot easier. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sometimes it worked that way, but yeah, usually I would have to kind of rewrite the proposal um, and highlight certain skills that I had that pertain to what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was in terms of, of what kind of, you know, I felt worked for me, it was kind of the same formula, just changing really what I would highlight about myself. Gotcha. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what I did. And, um, and it seemed to have worked pretty well. So just in terms of like, like you said, highlighting your, some of your skills, making sure that was specifically relatable to the project that they were posting. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. And so not just sending a generic template over and over. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I would have gotten, um, as many, you know, jobs or feedback if I had just sent the same thing. Um, because you know, some of the jobs I would apply to were for, I do a lot of activewear. So, you know, some of them were for activewear. Some of them were sportswear. Some of them were, you know, just all we want. We have our designs. We're all good. We just need tech packs. So it was, you know, I would highlight more of my technical skills. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If it was designing, then I would, you know, have to highlight more of, you know, my creative skills. And, um, so yeah, doing that kind of just, I think, you know, just basically, you know, play into what they want, um, you know, and just make sure to highlight those strengths about yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, and be honest about what you can do. Sure. As well. Sure. <laughs> Or else you're just going to find yourself in a pickle. <laughs> yeah, which is not going to be good Yeah, for anybody. Um, so one other thing I would like to just touch on really quickly is the NDA. Because I um, have heard mixed feedback from designers um, or even like factories when they get asked to sign an NDA. And so, um, you know, that was something that you said actually – impressed you about the project or the client and made them look, you know, really professional and that they were, um, I I think maybe you said something to that extent, but you know, as you as a designer, did you ever feel nervous with that? Like that was like locking you into, you know, and this is a generic example, but like, let's say they want, they're designing some activewear legging. And then, you know, what if somewhere hidden in that NDA is saying like, you can't design leggings for another brand for a year or something, you know, some type of like non-compete clause. Did you ever feel nervous about that? Or did you have a lawyer review those documents or, or what was that like? You know, the smart thing to do is I think to have a lawyer review them. <laughs> I didn't because I didn't, there was nothing in there that made me feel like, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to, you know, design for another brand that does this same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of just like, you know, our, you know, keep, keep our designs, keep our concept, um, you know, don't share like factories and, and all that stuff. It was pretty basic stuff. Okay. Um, like, don't, you know, don't post about, you know, this brand on social media. Sure. Um, you know, you like a lot of it was, you know, wait until like, I can't put a lot of the work on my website until it's like kind of out there, right. You know, being sold. Okay. Um, that type of stuff, which I felt comfortable with. Um, okay. there was, 
no, like, you know, you can't design for another um, activewear brand or another, you know, handbag line. And, and I'm, I'm honest with my clients, like, hey, I, I, I work with another brand, you know, startup that's doing activewear, you know, it's, it's a totally different style than yours. It's a different thing. Um, I'm kind of just, I try to be as transparent as possible. Um, so that, you know, they kind of know what I'm doing, but that, you know, and you, and you have to build that trust as well with, with yeah. your client. It just, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah. you know, a lot of people want you to sign this NDA, but I have not run into anything that has made me feel like I am prohibited from working okay. with other brands. Um, yeah, if I did, I would probably call it out and say, you know, Hey, we need to talk about this part because okay. this is making me feel, you know, kind of uncomfortable and, um, but yeah, I've, I've only signed two of them so far and both of them have been very, um, yeah, basic and basically just, you know, don't talk about our ideas and, you know, put it out there to the world before we're ready. And it sounds like they were written in like plain enough English that you read it and you could understand exactly what it meant. Yes. Yeah. And they weren't like 15 pages long or they were, (laughs) yeah, they were pretty, um, pretty clear and basic and I could understand them. So, okay. So, I, I didn't feel like I needed a lawyer. Yeah, no, I just, you say NDA and I, I picture like, you know, like you said, a 15 page, like legal jargon document that it's like, what am I signing? Like, I don't even know what half this means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. that explains that quite a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Awesome. Um, well, that's fantastic. Um, anything else you want to share about your experience or process with Upwork or any other advice you'd, you'd give to people who are trying to get started on that platform? Um, I, you know, I would just say, you know, be patient. Um, don't expect anything overnight. Um, but if you feel like, you know, you've been doing this for a few weeks and you're not getting, you know, you're not having any success, um, you know, kind of relook, relook at maybe your profile or your proposals or how you are, um, you know, presenting yourself and see if there are any tweaks that you can make, you know, are you applying to the right jobs? I mean, sometimes you just don't, you know, there are a lot of people applying to these jobs and you can see if there were like 500 people applying to a job and it wasn't something that I was like, Oh my gosh, I really want to do this. I honestly wouldn't even bother. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, that's just me. Um, but I would say, you know, you know, try to be choosy about what you're applying to, but you know, I understand when you're first starting, you kind of just, you know, you just go for broke (laughs) and apply (laughs) to every, you know, kind of everything that would pertain to you. So, um, and then just kind of, don't be afraid to ask many questions about the project before you agree to it. Um, Mm. a lot, a lot of the, um, jobs that I, um, wrote proposals to, they wanted me to quote, um, like a fee for the project, which can be challenging. So you really need to know as much information as you can. Like I would say, send me an example of kind of what you are expecting. If you have one, you know, um, like I would ask very detailed questions so that I would know, okay, this is how many hours this is going to take me. And then I would say, okay, if I give you the project, you know, there can be like maybe a round of, of changes that are included in that project fee. And I would kind of like pad that in a little bit, knowing that there are going to be revisions because there are always revisions. Sure. 
And then anything after that, I'm charging my hourly rate. Okay. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great tip. So include one round and then let them know like you're happy to make more, but it's going to be an additional fee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you don't even have to include a round if you don't want to, if you don't feel comfortable doing that. Um, I would, and then I would just kind of like bump it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's great. And then the other thing that you said that I just want to reiterate, um, which I think is great advice is sort of that, um, initial negotiation to do the first project at a lower rate, but going in and being very honest and transparent and clear that, okay, we'll do this at this rate, but then assuming everybody's happy working together, we'll move to the regular rate. Cause that's a great way for both of the parties, you and the client to kind of test each other out. Exactly. Yeah. Because you really have to be, you know, you both have to be a good fit. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it kind of gives them a comfort level of, you know, okay, like, you know, this person is also, you know, wants to make sure that, you know, everything is going to go smoothly before they commit, you know, fully. And, but they're willing to give me a little bit, you know, initially. And it, it kind of just creates a little bit of a comfort level, I think. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, if you can do that, yeah. even, you know, even if you knock a few dollars off an hour, I mean, I know that that kind of adds up depending on the project, but sure. it, it worked for me anyway. Yeah. That's great. That's great. And maybe like you said, maybe making sure that it's a, it's a smaller project or that you could get to like the first milestone. And then, you know, that if it didn't work, that would be a comfortable breaking off point. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was something kind of big that you didn't want to do that lower hourly rate for too long. Exactly. So that's great. Yeah. And just another thing I'll, I'll note, this is kind of like a, I mean, it's all on subject, but it's kind of a detailed thing that I initially didn't really think about and add into my time. Um, if you, like, let's say you're doing tech packs and you know, you're going to send that final tech pack in a PDF. Let's say you have, let's say you do part of the tech pack in illustrator. Let's say you do the specs and everything in Excel, make sure to, to um, think about the time it's going to take for you to save all those and put them into a single PDF mm. because it can be time consuming. And for my first big project that I quoted, um, like a, a flat rate for, I kind of forgot about that whole part of the process. Uh, and depending on how many tech packs you do, it can take hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to package everything up. <laughs> exactly. So just kind of think about that as well. Yeah. That's one mistake I made. I was like, Oh man, <laughs> I still have to package this all up and merge all these documents together. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it's just tedious work and there are shortcuts, but it still takes time. Yeah, it does. And like you said, especially if you're doing a big batch. So maybe like really thinking about every step of the process that it takes to go from zero to finish for, for the project, um, which, you know, sometimes you miss something and that just took longer than you expected. I've had that same thing happen with project based, um, fees before. So, you know, it happens and you learn from that and then you can adjust next time. Exactly. Yeah. So great tip. Great tip. Um, thank you so much, Kim. This was really awesome. Um, share again where everybody can find you online. Sure. My website is uh, www.kimberlydipple.com. It's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y-D-I-P-P-E-L. Awesome. Perfect. (laughs) And I will put links to that in the show notes. Um, and I would love to finish with the question I ask everybody at the end of the show and it takes some people a minute to kind of think of their answers. So no rush or pressure, but, um, (laughs) what is one thing that nobody asks you about working in fashion that you wish people would ask about? 
Um, oh gosh, let's see. You know, honestly, um, I would, you know, I, (laughs) I would say nobody has ever really asked me, you know, sometimes you'll get, Oh, what does your day look like? But nobody really asks you about like the nitty gritty details of truly what you are doing all day. Mm. Um, I have, a, I have a couple of, you know, cousins of mine and their friends, and they're very interested in going into fashion in one capacity or another, whether it be design or merchandising, you know, and they'll ask me questions, but they've never, you know, really asked me what, like, what skills do I need in order to like complete my like day to day tasks? Yeah. Um, and a lot of it, well, at least on the design side and, and technical side, and even actually, I mean, in merchandising side as well, I mean, you need to know your like computer programs, your Adobe Illustrator, your Photoshop, um, you know, obviously Excel comes in there. Yeah. Um, and then there are, you know, product line management programs that some companies use and you kind of just learn those at the job there, but it's very computer oriented. Um, and it's a lot of, um, tedious work that I found myself doing. Yeah. Like not, not a lot of it was, you know, it was kind of a luxury sometimes when I would get to design because you're doing tech packs and, um, you know, some, you know, sometimes you're handling your own product development with China. Sometimes you have someone that does it for you depending on the company. Um, but like really like the nitty gritty kind of skills that you need to build on top of just your, you know, your raw talent. Um, I wish, more people because that's what you end up doing. That's what you end up spending the time doing. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) No, it's a great point. A lot of your time is spent like making revisions in Excel, um, or or revisions in illustrator, updating things in Excel and correspondence and like follow up and managing just certain tasks. And, and yeah, you don't get to spend as much time doing just the creative, awesome design stuff that I think a lot of people imagine goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. And and you need to have that because that's, you know, usually why you're being hired. But at the same time, like I would say 75% of what I do is not even that. And, you know, they want all this other stuff done and they want it done fast. Yeah. (laughs) So really building (laughs) your computer skills and your speed and your um, efficiency is really going to help you a lot, at least on the design side. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And I've, um, I've heard people say similar things to me. Someone made a comment, I think on an Instagram photo, I just posted that you need to know math. Like she's a technical designer and she's like, who would have thought, but you need to have some basic math skills to do some of these things. And I was like, it's so funny. Like all the things that you don't think about. Yeah. Know your fractions and your, <laughs> your centimeters and yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, that's a great tip. Um, well, so much fun to chat with you and thank you for all the great insights and resources and, um, really appreciate you sharing all the advice for getting started on Upwork and, um, sharing your story and your journey with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Awesome. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> Talk to you later. All right. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode 16 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 16. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. 
If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for other people to discover. It's super easy to do and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com slash review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help.